verses 2 through 17 today. We uh, came back to the book of John last week, and we're now in the upper room. We kind of let our imaginations uh, climb those stairs and take us into the upper room where Jesus and his disciples are. And as far as we know, that's all that's there. And, and here we are, uh, able to listen in on this conversation and this teaching that Jesus has with his disciples and are able to see uh, through the words of Scripture uh, what is going on. And, and as we discussed the very first verse last week, we saw that all of this is being done in love. In fact, uh, that's, that's what it says right at the end of uh, verse 1. Uh, he loved them to the end, and, and everything that we watch and see in this room is, is happening because of God's great love, Jesus' great love for his disciples. And so uh, we'll join them again at this uh, Passover supper and start reading John chapter 13, beginning at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the hearts of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this glimpse we get into this upper room as Jesus is with his disciples. And with these words and with your truth, we ask that you will speak into our hearts, your Holy Spirit, guiding us and teaching us that we may learn more of you and your great love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever you try to 
uh, figure something out, um, and we see this in the news all the time. You know, something happened, and now they're trying to figure out what happened, or TV shows are built around this, and even in our own lives, we go through this, and, and the, the question is, well, who knew what? You know, who knows what's going on, and, and, and who knew what? And, and then you get a little deeper with that question. Well, not only who knew what, but when did they know that? You know, because you don't know everything right away sometimes, especially when you think of things in your own life, you, you learn things along the way. And so then you get to the next question. All right, well then, what did that person do once they figured something out, once they learned what it was they learned? And, and we all have a, a range of things that we do, and we've probably all done them all. Sometimes uh, when ego and pride gets the best of us, we just stick with it, even though we know, well, we might be wrong. You know, I didn't know this, and I was pretty bold about sticking with this, and, well, now I know this. But you know what? I'm still holding my ground. Uh, then other times when we're a little better, and maybe around people we consider to be a little safer, we'll say, you know what? I was wrong. I thought this, but now I realize that, and so I've changed my mind, and, and I know I was, I was wrong. But... That, those are the questions that we usually go through. What do you know? When did you know it? And then how did you respond to it? And I point that out because John, as he writes this, he's making very clear to us that Jesus knows what's going on. He, he says it a few different times. In fact, in verse 1, he mentioned that, that Jesus knows that his hours come and he's going to depart out of this world. And then in verse 3, uh, he says it again, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and, and that he had come from God and is going back to God. He knows who he is. Jesus is well aware that he's God. He knows who he is in this position that uh, he had before he came to earth on the throne of God. But he also... Jesus also knows this, and it's kind of hinted at in verse 2, that uh, Judas Iscariot is going to betray him. And when you jump down to verse 11, uh, he states it outright. Jesus knew who was to betray him. Jesus knows who he is. He knows what's at his disposal. He knows the enemy is right in the room. And even with all of this knowledge, Jesus does this foot washing, which is pointing to something else. And, and it makes what Jesus does even more astounding. Because when you think about it, he mentions he washes all the disciples' feet, including Judas's. Jesus knows what's going on. It's not like he learned some of this later. And what he does is astonishing. And his teaching takes on a certain uh, an elevated impactfulness because of who Jesus is. It's, it's during supper now, as John writes this, and, and the devil had already put into the heart of, 
of Judas to betray him. In fact, the, the treacherous plot has already been conceived. Judas has talked with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. The price has been set. It's just a matter of time. The religious leaders are waiting for the word from Judas. Judas is just waiting for this opportunity to betray Jesus, hand him over, having Jesus arrested. And then John writes in verse 3, And Jesus, knowing uh, that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, and, and uh, he knows who he is. But also in that verse, there's something kind of neat that John is doing. It's almost like the prologue that he had at the beginning of his gospel. Remember back in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And, and he goes through that whole thing, and some of those very same words are being used. It's like almost like a prologue part two. It's like he's resetting it. He wants us to remember who Christ is. I want to reset this whole thing. And, and Christ knows his, his origin. He knows his mission. He knows the guy who's going to betray him is sitting right in the room with him. He knows the devil is lurking out in the shadows somewhere. He knows all of this is going on. And one commentator did a really neat thing with this. It said, if you were to read through verse 3 and then just stop and forget that you know what comes up, Here's Jesus, who is God, came from God. He's going to go back to God very shortly. He's got all of these resources. He's got this status. Just stop at the end of verse 3, and you finish the sentence. How would you finish it? You know, I think to myself, I would have some great Indiana Jones-type confrontation, and there would be some flashy uh, retribution and he would defeat the devil, and, and Judas would just melt in wrath. You know, it would be awesome. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. But when you think about it, Jesus can do whatever he wants right here. But he knows his mission. And his plans are not going to be frustrated. And so he does something unexpected. Something he absolutely does not have to do. But it's an act of love. And he's trying to teach his disciples something here. And so John tells what Jesus does. And I love how John does this. Have you ever tried to explain to someone something that, that is just completely improbable, something you would not expect at all, or maybe someone's telling you something, and so you go through it step by step, and you go almost slowly, You're like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and that's almost how John writes this, I think he wants us to take this phrase by phrase, so we can get the impact of what Jesus is doing, here he is. Here's God. He's come from heaven, and, and he's going to go back to heaven very shortly. And Jen, John writes, and I think he wants us to read it almost this way. And then he rose from supper. 
and he laid aside his outer garments, and then he took a towel and he tied it around his waist, and then he went and he took water and poured it into a basin, and then he washed our feet. And then he dried our feet with that towel that was wrapped around him. It's like any Jewish person that he would have been telling this to would have said, what? No, really, what happened? Come on, John. This? It just gets more improbable every step of the way. Uh, as one uh, theologian wrote, this act is as unnecessary as it is stunning. Jesus doesn't have to do any of this. Especially when you consider he's going to die on a cross for their sins. But he's doing this first? Uh, by the way, this foot washing, this is a task for the lowliest of uh, menial servants. Um, peers would never do this. If you had somebody that was just uh, a co-worker or whatever, you would not wash his feet, almost never. It would happen very rarely and only at, as a, a, a sign of, of great love. You know, something like, oh, well, thank you for saving me from that charging bear. Let me wash your feet. I and mean, something outstanding would have had to have happened for someone to wash someone else's feet if you were equals. In fact, uh, the Jewish citizens, some of them, not all, but some, they insisted that if they had Jewish servants and Gentile servants, only the Gentile servants would wash your feet. That was too good for the Jewish servants. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson writes, the marvel of the humility and grace Jesus displays here depends on the fact that it is as undiminished deity that he washes dirty feet. Jesus isn't a servant. He's undiminished deity. But he takes the role as the lowliest of servants and starts washing their feet. You know, there's a, a story from way back. Actually, it's a well-known story uh, to Jewish people. A rabbi, uh, his name is Rabbi Ishmael. And uh, he returned home from the synagogue where he was performing his duties one time. And, and his mother actually wanted to wash his feet. But he wouldn't let her. He said, no, that, that task is, is too lowly for you. I will not let you wash my feet. Well, she wanted to because uh, as a sign of honor. You know, he was a, a rabbi. He'd been performing his duties at the synagogue. And so she actually uh, took this matter to the rabbinic court so that she would be allowed to wash his feet. You know, and how would you like to be the court reporter that day, you know? episode of Perry Mason, you know, the case of the filthy feet. So uh, what's the excitement in that? But you can see this is a big deal. The, the mother actually took the son to rabbinic court so she could wash his feet. And so when we understand that this is kind of a big deal, uh, Peter's initial response really isn't out of line. A lot of times we'll get at the down on Peter a little bit because he is quick to speak and sometimes goes overboard but here I would say 
he's really not out of line in questioning Jesus on this. Now, he doesn't understand, and he does go a little bit too far eventually, but initially, when Jesus comes to him, we see in verse 6, and, and Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? I mean, this makes no sense to Peter, and rightly so. And, and Jesus answered and said, well, what I'm doing, you don't understand. Now, you're going to understand this later. In a few days, you're going to understand what this is all about. But right now, you don't understand. It, right away, we get this hint. All right, this is more than just washing feet. Something else is going on here. He said, you'll understand that later. And Peter objects in verse 8. Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Now, we've got to remember a couple things about Peter. Earlier on in Jesus' ministry, when, when Jesus was giving some extremely hard teaching and, and there was a crowd around him and the teaching was so hard that pretty much everyone left. And it was Jesus and, and his disciples, just his close uh, disciples there. And Jesus looked around and said, well, do you guys want to leave too? And it was Peter who spoke up and said, where would we go? You have the words of eternity. You're the one that we want to listen to. And Jesus one time asked his disciples, you know, who, who are people saying that I am? And they came out with names. Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, one, maybe one of the other prophets. And then Christ said, who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one that spoke up. He said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said, blessed are you because... This has been revealed to you. And, and so Peter, he has this elevated view of Jesus, and rightly so. And so when Jesus comes around and says, I want to wash your feet, Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And most of us at this point, if we had been sitting alongside Peter, would have probably said, yeah, Peter's right on this one. Jesus, you're, you're pretty good here. I don't think he should be washing our feet. But Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share of me. Now, once again, if, if this is only about the act of foot washing, then that response seems a little rigid. You know, or maybe uh, it seems a little bit like fake humility. You know, all right, Peter, let me, I'm ordering you to let me wash your feet so I can show everybody how humble I am. You know, if that's all that was at stake, that would seem a little rigid, but that's not what's going on. And Peter picks up on it right away. And we see it too. We know it because we know what's coming up. He's, he's pointing to the cross here. And once we understand that symbolism, and, and the disciples all came back and they understood this symbolism later on, as Jesus said they would, but once the symbolism here is understood of what Jesus is saying, then we see what is inevitably true, and that is this. Unless the Lamb of God has taken away a person's sin, unless Christ's blood has washed that person, he or she can have no part of Christ. You must be washed by Christ. And this washing metaphor gets picked up by uh, 
many, well, all of the disciples actually, and, and there's some very famous verses about it, 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5 and Titus 3, uh, Hebrews 10, they all mention this washing metaphor, being washed by Christ. Christ does not wash you. You have no share in him. And Peter realizes, okay, there's something more going on. And so he says, Lord, in, in verse 9, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Lord, do it all. Here I am. Start from the top and just get it all. Well, uh, this is where he goes maybe a little overboard on that. Get it all. And Jesus responds by saying, well, here, it's the deal. The one who has bathed uh, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And, and what Christ is saying here is, if you're, you're washed by him, you are already clean. Completely clean. Now, we do need the cleansing power of Christ to continue our work in this world and our walk in this world and in this life. But when Christ forgives, here's the point, when Christ forgives, we are completely forgiven. He forgives all of our sins. And we don't look elsewhere for redemption. We can't look anywhere else. We can't do it ourselves. We come to Christ and Christ alone. And he forgives completely. And we are completely clean because of him. And Jesus would often use these uh, metaphors or illustrations, earthly events, to point to spiritual realities. And we've gone through some of them as we've gone through the book of John. Uh, he would feed thousands of people and then teach about being the bread of life. Or heal a blind man and then teach about being the light of the world. Or at a ceremony where there was water being, they had a, a, a purification thing and, and water was there and, and Jesus would teach, if you, if you come to me, you will never thirst. He always, he often, I should say, used uh, these earthly or, or worldly examples to, to a point to spiritual realities and, and he's doing that here. And, and here's the thing, if, if this foot washing is a shock to them, which it is, it's not nearly as shocking as the notion of the Messiah dying a hideous and shameful death of crucifixion, a death for only the worst of criminals. And, and that's what he's pointing to. The, the exalted Messiah here, the Christ. He assumes the role of this despised servant, really, the lowliest of servants, and he does it for the good of others. And he's going to go one step further, actually quite a few steps further. He will die as a despised criminal, the worst kind of death sinners on behalf of us it effectively points to the cross and remember all of this is coming out of love his love for the disciples and and then 
just to give a, a sneak preview of what's coming in a couple of weeks, if you want to jump ahead to uh, verses 34 and 35, Jesus is going to say, uh, a new commandment I give to you, you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And, and this, this is the way people will know you are my disciples, all out of love. And then he turns to the disciples here and, okay, you see what I'm doing. And now here's, here's what I'm asking from you or telling you. Starting at verse 12, when he washed their feet, he put on his garments and resumed his place. And he asked, do you understand what I did to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. He said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's. I've given you an example. And when you read it and, and look at verse 14, you ought to wash one another's feet. There's no conceivable excuse for refusing to do this. And what Jesus is getting at is humbling ourselves for the good of others. Now, I know some churches, they'll actually have foot-washing ceremonies. Some will do it every few months. Some do it every week, actually. Uh, these these foot-washing ceremonies, but, but I think it's too easy to miss the point of what Jesus is really saying here. This everyday humility that Jesus is pointing to. As D.A. Carson writes, Christian zeal divorced from transparent humility sounds hollow, even pathetic. The heart of Jesus' command is a humility and a helpfulness toward brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is saying, I will do the lowliest of low jobs, and I will go to the worst of the worst places on your behalf. Why would you do that for each other? gives that truly, truly uh, thing again in verse 16 where you know you have to hone in on what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, serve greater than the master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And the question when we read that, the question becomes not um, how would I like others to treat me? A lot of times we grow up and that's what you kind of learn in school. You know, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. But that gets elevated here. It's not so much, I'll treat others like I want them to treat me. But how can I treat others as the Lord has treated me? Because he did what nobody else would do. He went to the worst place possible for me. Now, I can't die for anyone's sin. Only Christ can do that. But I can humble myself and serve others in a way that Christ served those he loved. You know, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, 
with humility toward one another. And as he wrote that, I, I wonder if in his mind he wasn't thinking of Jesus putting on that towel, clothe yourselves with humility, putting on that towel of the most humble and lowest of servants, washing feet. Was he thinking of that scene? Or was he thinking of Jesus on the cross? But he does say, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And Jesus in verse 17 says, if you, do the, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. To know this is one thing. To know what to do is one thing. The blessing is actually doing it. And that can sometimes be the hard thing. But Jesus wants us to know the great love he has for us and the kind of love we should have for each other. And so he takes this time with his disciples. And he says, if I do this for you, why wouldn't you do this for others? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Christ lowered himself that he gave us this example of what it means to really humble yourself before others, to do what the world might frown upon, but to do it for the good of others. We thank you that Christ humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross, that we may be forgiven, that we may live in the love Christ, that your Holy Spirit may lead us in all truth, in all humility, and in all love, that we may be your servants, loving you with our whole heart and our neighbors as ourselves. We thank you for your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.